Today is Wednesday, November 29th, 2023, and you're listening to the Ask a Christian podcast. I'm your host, Nate. Today we talk about the origin of bagels, uh, Jews, and the Inquisition. <laughs> uh, who did it better? Um, let's see. Problems with uh, or dangers of feminism. We get into first, second, third wave feminism, the sin of empathy, and then we get to... Uh, either Chris's utopia, everyone else's nightmare scenario of Christian theonomy and taking away women's right to vote. And um, oh, then it just breaks down into complete madness and chaos. So anyway, um, should only Christians have the right to vote? I don't know. I guess that doesn't mean quit Christian women, but I don't know. It's a mess. Um, I check out and play Fortnite. <laughs> so anyway, if you want to start off with a conversation that's pretty good and um, ends up in just crazy people land. Listen to this one. Um, the feminism thing's good, though. Check that out. Anyway, check out the Ask a Christian book on Amazon, and check out the Ask a Christian store. Grab a t-shirt, support this podcast. The links are in the description. Take care. To a question I actually had for you. <clears throat> so, uh, in Romans, we are told, <clears throat> among other places, Acts, you know, things like that, don't offer, you know, don't eat stuff offered to idols or demons. I was thinking, how far do you extend that? So someone was talking about, like, Dubai and how they were, like, you know, so modernized and everything. And I'm like, well, yeah. And I started thinking about their cuisine. I'm like, yeah, and I guess their stuff would be halal, which is, you know, whatever their customs are. So if someone's like, here, you can eat this food. It's kosher. Or this is halal. Would you consider that eating food offered to demons? Because it's not like they're specifically offering it to a demon, but these are in strict adherence to their religious principles about how, you know, certain certain requirements that food must be prepared to be eaten in. So would you consider that um, just very similar, but not exactly offering to offering to demons? So you'd be fine eating it in front of other Christians or something like that? Or no, that's ridiculous unless they're like offering it to like Moloch slitting their baby's throats. That doesn't count as offering to demons. What do you think about that, Chris? I mean, in terms of offering things to demons, we'd probably have to ask uh, Sister Cherry, and she's the expert <laughs> on that. But, um, yeah, no, I would say that you know, halal or kosher does not count as that, because there was a very specific thing that was going on in the ancient world in terms of meat sacrifice to idols. What about you, Brandon? You have any thoughts on this? Yeah, I, I kind of agree with Chris on that. Only exception, like if it's something that I know um, of a person, like if their conscience is intentionally, you know, damaged because of something that's particularly going on, uh, I would just inconvenience myself with that person's conscience. But outside of that, uh, no, nah, I wouldn't have a problem with that. Yeah, I think that's the conclusion I got. I just wanted to, you know, there's nothing else to talk about since Chris is saving the juicy stuff for, I guess more people because we don't count well i was gonna um say it's interesting about the thing up with bagels but i was thinking about one of the most interesting things i know of like dealing with the jewish people but there's a book called the ascent of finance by neil ferguson uh which deals with some of the um the development of finance in forest monetary system globally and one of the most interesting things i guess as you can kind of see with our modern monetary system, at least some of the history of it, is that there, you know, like some of the correlation you have with like Jewish people and money, 
not to say the prejudicial standpoint, of course, but there is some correlation between the Jewish people historically in dealing with money in the sense of like um, when you deal with the Catholic Church, because it was um, against canon law for Christians to lend to other Christians, you know, far as like the um, interest was usury. So, but the Jews could uh, be the ones who could give interest because they weren't Christians. So in Italy, they would go down to uh, the ghettos, which is originally where the word came from, of course. And uh, they would, the, where the Jews would do their lending and they would uh, go down, they would sit on these benches. And the Italian word for benches were, uh, benches were bankies, uh, of course, and it was shortened for banks, which is where we get our uh, modern words for banks or shorthand, shorthand banks uh, today uh, would do their uh, mod, their uh, handling and tra financial transaction business today. Uh, but yeah, that's uh, when you look at it, it's it's a. It, but of course, the even the Vatican's rule on usury and stuff it was adopted from the Old Testament. Uh, how they apply usury and things. So a lot of how we even apply uh, usury and interest today kind of comes from a a, little, a lot strong Jewish influence. Are you saying Catholics are, or, or, or uh, Jews are to money how Catholics are to inquisitions? D there is some historical merit to that, but of course, not in the not not in the you know the prejudicial sense. And I always try to be very careful how I say that. But you you uh, you understand historically in context in in the reason it's kind of like oh, in I the early yeah nineteen hundreds like men sometimes like. Within the black community, it's kind of like sometimes why they say why 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 are blacks so strong in the arts because there was one time that was sometimes the only jobs they they could get in certain areas and so in a lot of areas in Europe the only jobs that a lot of Jews could get were the financial jobs because they didn't contradict canon law and so when that's the only job available to you in an industry over generations and generations you have a tendency to get really good at them. Uh, and I think that's why, especially like when you start looking at things with Germany and the prejudice uh, associated with that, that's why I think Hitler and many of them kind of targeted them for that. Because, I mean, even when other things become available to you, if this is what you're good at, I mean, it's what you're good at. I hear you. Yeah, I but you, you always I have mean, to, have mean, to I mean, frame that carefully. If your only job is burning people at the stake for hundreds of years, you tend to get really good at it. <laughs> Am oh, I right? re re really good. At, really good at being a pope. You know, why, why change it up? Why change it up? Uh, <laughs> ah, I'm really <laughs> good at inquisitions. Really good at it. <laughs> Speaking of which, we hadn't had one lately. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> let's, let's just keep that trend going of, of not having them. Yeah, you mean but I always around clubhouse. No, I'm talking about in real life. Like, you know, like they had written start lighting people on fire. At least that we know of, you know, who's to say with their ability. Fire or it doesn't count. Oh, you know, but you know, God goodness gracious. I, I would be afraid to think of all the stuff they really have at their disposable disposal to make uh you know, one time when I was working in the banks, I, I remember I was one of the my uh clients I worked with, he used to he was an Italian gentleman, real thick Italian accent. And he used to be a, a valet in uh Rome. Uh, retired guy, real nice guy. And he we used to talk about, especially when you found out I was a preacher, he used to talk to me about, because uh, he had issues with his faith growing up as a Catholic. And he said, I believe in God. I believe in the Bible. You know, he had real thick Italian. He said, but 
I struggled with the the concept of repentance because we we do the you know he just like he just unload at my desk and he says I would drive these cardinals and he said he said I I it disgusted me having to drive them to these prostitute houses and and he would just like let the cat out of the bag of the you know the I guess the the things he saw you know being there in Rome and he was like. How in the world can this be like the city of God with all this sin and high leadership going on? And I said, well, I said, well, you know, save yourself. The only thing I can say. But that dude, man, the stories he would tell. And he was just a chauffeur. So I could imagine how well it's known <laughs> there. You get good at stuff, so. Chris, yeah, you still enjoying your uh, bagel, or uh, can we hear the goods? I want to hear the goods, man. Give it to me. Wait, you you're, said you had the goods. You're ready to unload, right? Oh, you wanted to talk through the, yeah, the, the Rosario. That's, what, that's what you were talking about, the 58-minute uh, the video you sent me? Yeah. Does anybody else know who Rosaria Butterfield is? I still don't know who that is. I mean, I guess it's the woman I saw in the video when I skimmed, skimmed through it. Yeah. So she's an interesting cat. Um, so she was a 19th century literature professor at a university in Syracuse, New York, and as well as a women's studies professor. And then she got saved radically and then oh and a lesbian as well and she walked away for that entire lifestyle got married to a pastor of all people and is now a pastor's wife um, at, at a church in New York and I guess that's chapter one I mean she's been she's been rattling around for years in the evangelical community so but so what's her what's her thing like <clears throat> that that's her story and that's it or like you were saying like she was on a panel and asked about like women pastors like what's the the big uh, oh her whole thing it, the, like, the whole video was about like feminism right and stuff like that yeah yeah her whole thing about the evils of feminism even first wave so like yeah she's coming from being a professor of feminism and she's like I don't think you people understand <laughs> like this has been her thing for like thirty years. Well, I don't want to say I'm wet down, but man. <laughs> it's just louder I am right now, so I'll, I'll get back to you. Well, Brennan, you uh, on your way to work? Oh, yes, sir. I, out of town. On my oh, way to the site here. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Working, working, working. Scurrying things up and a head on out and. Be in some meetings today. Fun stuff, though. What's up, Tasha? Oh, this is great. We got some ladies. If any of them will speak. I think it's interesting that that is a topic that you guys are talk choosing to talk about or that Chris brought up because um, in several of my years that um, I'm dealing with in different ministries, um, feminism is coming up and how much it affects the church and 
um, believers and how we take that mindset and that um, those popular teachings into our Christian walks and how much it, of attention it causes. So I think it's really interesting that that's what you're all talking about because we've been I've been dealing with that a lot in the spheres that I'm dealing in. Well, what are your questions, Chris? We'll answer them all. Well, I'll do my best. I haven't read Rosario's book yet. Well, I have no questions because I have a very strong stance against it. But <laughs> I just think that it was interesting that that's, that's the note that I come in on. Have you have you heard of Rosario Butterfield? I've heard minimal about her. Um, just kind of surface level. Just kind of like what you just brought up. Like I've, I've heard that much about her. She is awesome. Um, I'll post a link to a video in the chat. Um, that she uh, just did an interview with uh, with a reformed guy, reformed pastor who has a big podcast, and uh, the interview is amazing. And she just wrote a book called Five Lies. Um, and so I want to get this. Nice. So there's a book that's circling around um, women's groups right now that is um, it's called Even Exile and the restoration of femininity and it's kind of it goes um kind of goes in depth about well i wouldn't even say in depth it goes over a lot of the things um that the feminist movement like popular beliefs that come from all of that and why we believe what we believe as a society right now and how that feminist movement has um, jaded a lot of our look at, oh, well, if only I could have lived in this time frame or, you know, we, we uh, fantasize, I don't know about men, but women um, in majority fantasize, okay, well, it would have been a lot easier to be submissive if I just lived in this culture or at this time or, you know, my husband just acted like they did in this time frame, you know, and so um, it, it really come that book really comes against that and is like, look, you're fantasizing over society that that you have um, glorified and you don't even know like what their actual beliefs were. And so it kind of goes into some of that and talks about some of those things. And it's, it's been so it's it's open because this book is circulating right now so heavily. Um, it has definitely um, pushed conversation in that direction, right? Like, okay, well, if this is the case, then how do we combat that on a biblical stance and from the church perspective versus the society's perspective, right? Because, you know, society pushes submissiveness from men, but it doesn't push it from a women's perspective, right? Because women, you know, we're supposed to be strong and assertive and, but that's not the way we were designed when you look at, at, um, you know, the biblical perspective. And so, anyways, I, just, I appreciated the book. Um, there are some things I kind of wavered on <laughs> and, and kind of like, eh, um, we can agree to disagree on, but there were some great points, and I just thought, you know, it wasn't one of the how to make lemonade out of women's Bible study books that we have so many of for women. This was actually a little bit deeper. And so I, I can appreciate that. I don't know if anybody else, any other women would, but I definitely did. 
you you know when you saying that that's something I've always thought about because me me and my wife thought about like uh we want to have another child and especially like us because you know we had uh my first child is, is my, my son which we had my son I was like woof great not that I wouldn't want to have a daughter but I was like okay I felt more prepared because I'm like oh he's a boy I've been a boy I understand that you know uh but I was thinking I said if I had a daughter you know, I you know how much help I would need, especially you know in our modern context with how things are going on. And one of the things I would look at because I definitely want to, you know, raise my daughter to be a godly woman, you know, very things like that. But I guess teaching her to have that balance because I believe she needs to submit to her husband. Uh, you know, uh, follow the things of the scriptures, uh, very much. Uh, but I do believe there is a balance also. Uh, and I think sometimes when people do hear the concept of women being strong, they think it's always in this lesbianish, um, kind of like, you know, uh, uh, you know, like, oh, she yelling at her husband. But I think sometimes the issue isn't that is women being strong, but I think it's in how they express their strength. And I think God has made us both strong, but just strong differently. Uh, and I think, uh, sometimes I think of my grandmother. Uh, my grandmother was very progressive as far as her thought process for her time, but she was wholly submitted to my grandfather. Um, like she was buying properties and stuff in the fifties. Like her thought process was way ahead of her time. But when my grandfather said, no, Carrie, this is not what we're going to do. It was, that was in the conversation. Uh, so I, I guess my, my thought process is how do I not hamper whatever her God given natural abilities are going to be given to her? Uh, because there's a reason God put it in her, uh, but also teach her how to not let whatever the aspect of her fallen nature derail her from fulfilling how God designed her. And I guess it's that balance piece, because I've seen the backlash of that where because of the wildness of, you know, hyper feminism, that the church kind of becomes this tool to kind of just almost like a spiritual hand of a lector on a lot of the ladies in church where we kind of end up disadvantaging ourselves. So how, how do you end up finding that balance, I guess? I think that's um, really I'd pause it to say that there's always been balance. Submissive isn't something that I am. Submission is something that I do. Um, it's something that I do to a partner who has proven that he can love, honor, and cherish me. Like it's, it doesn't define who I am. It's it's a verb, and it's a gift that I give to um, my partner because I trust him. I I trust him completely to defer to him to make, you know, the spiritual decisions and the the leadership decisions for our family. It's you can have both. You can be both. Um, I don't know. I don't like it when. Oh, you're chopping up. Like, like for instance, like um, my grand, my um, well, my grandfather got dementia, and he was our state bishop, and uh, we were having a lot of issues with the church. And my grandmother was the only; she was not a preacher or a pastor, and she made that very clear. And she said people tried to make her become a preacher for years, and she's like, "I am not a preacher." And she stood people down for years. You will not make me assume a preacher position. That is not my calling. And uh, but she was the only one for us that knew certain things about uh, the business side. And she uh, for legal things, she was able to step in and to uh, own the certain documents she had awareness of. 
And she was able to help make sure that some of my grandfather's wishes were carried out, things that he had disclosed to her before, you know, certain issues with his mind had began to, you know, because of dementia. And she was able, in one instance, I had to go, she had to stand on a, a, it was a bishop's meeting. Uh, She was able to stand in as his proxy because he was the one, my grandfather had such confidence in her legal acumen and ability that he made it clear that he wanted her to be able to stand in his stead in case something happened and represent his interests to the state board of bishops. And I was in that meeting. Uh, and let me tell you, my grandmother, uh, uh, goodness, I think they needed some help. That little old lady with her walker uh, <laughs> set that place together. Now, I would say that was an example of my grandmother exuding wonderful strength. She didn't get up acting like, you know, a man. She did it in a skirt. Um, but and it was a combination of her submitting to the wishes of my grandfather, but she was still exuding strength being a woman. Um, and, I, and I guess that's sometimes because I've seen those extremes where like the husband go down and the woman, she just kind of like locked out cool. It's like, can I depend on you when I'm unable to help? And I guess that's, I guess sometimes it's those balances, I guess, that I, I worry about sometimes. I think whenever you look at um, like biblical descriptives of a woman, so like Proverbs 31 and Timothy and Titus 2, right? When you look at these texts and you like follow them out, right, with a full thought process, um, you can see lots of different attributes that a biblical woman should have. And um, it's not somebody who just sits around and is barefooted at home and like, yes, yes, sir, you know, kind of attitude. As Although um, that biblical perspective on um, submission doesn't start with our husbands. It starts with our fathers and it starts with God first. And so he's the one that gives us that, that heart posture to first submit to him. And as children, to submit to our fathers, and then never our boyfriends, (laughs) but our husbands after that. And so I think it's really important that we recognize that, um, Brandon, you're exactly right, like, in thinking that, like, as far as if if God is going to bless you with a daughter, to know what that looks like, um, and just to walk that out fully. But that submission um, is not, is not okay let me let me say this i have never been more empowered as a woman uh than when i am following god and submitting to my husband i have never felt more strong more um all the things right like all the lies that that feminism teaches us that oh you'll be more empowered if you're not with a man and if you do things on your own and all of these things right they're lies and they corrupt what the truth of scripture actually is and so whenever we can look at that um and realize that actually our power good morning comes from when we step into the way God designed us. Good morning, Steph. Yeah, there's a really good, um, really good study called the sin of empathy, and I highly suggest it.
Wow, that didn't trigger anybody? Come on. What, are you guys had coffee yet? Like, what's wrong? I was just thinking how Jews made yeah. bagels. <laughs> no, I, like, you know, Chris, I agree with you on, like, uh, the dangers of, um, like, you know, like, a, you know, those, the, I guess, was it, like, third wave feminism and, like, the extreme, like, I think that stuff is really dangerous. Uh, I very much agree. Uh, I got news for you. First and second wave feminism are equally dangerous. So. And when you say first wave, because I, I guess maybe I'm thinking of like just basic like rights to, you know, like human rights to vote, you know, uh, you know, like being treated like human beings, you know, kind of stuff like that. Yeah, all that dangerous stuff, you know. Now, I mean, so well, Steph, did dangerous. you watch the, we're talking about the Rosaria Butterfield. Did you watch the Rosaria Butterfield bit? No, I didn't. Okay. Well, you need to go watch that so that you know what we're talking about. So, um. It is really good. It's really, really good. You're gonna Wait, really I like know it. what first and second wave feminism are. Do you? I mean, I'm a girl who went to Someone define so it. Yes. <laughs> what is first wave? First wave feminism began with Betty Friedan um, and the feminine mystique. Uh, it was carried through by uh, a bunch of other first wave feminists in the 60s and 70s. And it was a, it was also called Women's Liberation. And the idea of first wave feminism was to liberate women from the home and from children in order to allow them to be men in the workplace. That is the that is the crux of first wave feminism. Uh, Go read the feminine mystique. It lays it all out. You know, like so this, I, I've what read that, teach you about I've it. Read Virginia Woolf <laughs> like that's I mean, he's correct, but he's doing it in the most char- uncharitable way possible it was like well of course i am that's my job your job is to be charitable my job is to be a jerk come on wake up have some coffee lady come on this is this is the post-world war ii like women had to cover in the war and then when the war was over so a lot of women got factory jobs and were outside the home and then when they had to go back right then they were not happy being back in the home because they'd had this experience being out in the workforce so it was the the push for women to be able to work like men was a big part of it. Well, but also and, and the, it came like the, birth control and other things like that. First wave feminism. Sorry, wasn't it also part of like the idea of like um, corporations or like companies wanted to kind of fund this idea because there was a notion of like, well, if we have men here how much more would it be to have more workers, which would include women, and then kind of make more money off of that? In, in the sense that, like, it was, like, if anyone can, like, piggy off of yes, that, like, the idea man. that... this, like, so if, you, the, if you double the labor ahead, yeah. force, now you've made labor cheaper for all corporations. Now you can pay much less. Well, and so and it's happy because of twice the tax dollars. Yeah, right. and well, you've the, doubled consumers because women now have money. So, so the, the other the other point though is that what happened is that you had to be a two income home uh, starting in the seventies and eighties just to get by because the economy was restructured for feminism and so it destroyed things like homemakers in the home um, and it was on purpose. So first wave feminism was the most destructive wave of feminism, the one that destroyed our culture and is largely responsible for most of the problems in the church today. So where would you categorize the, 
where would you categorize the the element of allowing allowing them the basic rights? Like, where would you like if it's not in first or second, or would you say that that was just a byproduct that, of like, this? basic rights? To yeah, what? Chris like doesn't trial? think women should vote. Like that's no, well, that's not even an exaggeration. Well, women had the but, but when we're yeah. talking about basic but, but, but when we're talking about basic human rights and voting and stuff like that, that was what like forever before like what Chris is talking about and like the women's lib nineteen nineteen like, or whatever yeah nineteen yeah like it was it was it was decades before so no one that has nothing to do with feminism that's just like you said it human right basic right so like it, it's nothing to do with feminism that started when you know the era Chris Acid. was talking about so. Yeah, so where yeah, he so, would categorize so like, that, things like voting are decades before anything that we're talking about. All right, so this idea that, you know, the women's suffrage movement ushered in universal human rights is just feminist propaganda. It's feminazi propaganda. It is a bunch of crazy, um, wicked, abortion porn women running around telling you lies <laughs> that you believe because they were told to you by your teachers um, or your parents, and these are all lies. Women had the same human rights as men for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years before 1919. The only thing that the suffragettes were about is the right to vote. And then what did they do once they got the right to vote? They started passing all these constitutional amendments that destroyed the fabric of our nation. Like, it just, like, I mean, like, Prohibition started a crime wave. The Seventeenth <laughs> Amendment destroyed states' rights. I mean, you could go down the line how women absolutely, through their right to vote and the sin of empathy, completely annihilated the United States as a going concern. Just imagine a bunch of angry steps in a voting booth. Uh, I feel like I vote in a pretty educated and analytical fashion. Thank you. I don't have anything meaningful to contribute, so I'm just I'm just poking bears. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. Come on, go on the record. The patriarchy is good and right. I'll do that before Calvinism. All right, do it. Yeah, give it to us. The patriarchy is good and right. All it right. Should be promoted. Sure. You got me. Does anyone know why did they remove the um, the idea of being um, intellectually qualified to vote? Um, because it was discriminatory. No, yeah. because it was discriminatory. So, so the idea is that like you had to have a certain level of education and be a landowner, which meant that it was like six percent of the country voting on things that affected one hundred percent of the and country. And you had to be white. Don't let's forget about that. Yeah, instead of removing it entirely, because that, that's a really reasonable reason to, to say this is the standard for voting. But like, say remove remove the idea of owning land. I know I know some people have the idea about how it still is tied, but like say, remove the idea, at least for removing uh, for owning land. But you just take a test that isn't like absurd, but it's still tied to current things in terms of understanding concepts about the things that you're voting about i mean i mean that that's really the problem today is because we don't have that so i'm wondering like well, what is your yeah, thoughts on that but you eliminate used it to stop black people from voting so like the classic yeah but like there was okay phd in literature who went to go take the poll test and he failed because they graded it incorrectly and he answered all the questions correctly but he was a phd in literature who had to go take the test and he was able to pass it 
um, but they still failed him so that he couldn't vote. So it was used as a club against black people. And so now our Pelayadi is is allergic to any kind of a poll test because it was so like nastily used against black people. Like it was just right. Like, so just, yeah, yeah, yeah. Wait a minute. Yeah, the, There's the no history. way to do one now, even if we remove that element. You're uh, like you're okay. So yes, my, it's discriminatory, but it's it's, it's not the wrong decision. Okay, but look here. Here's why. Okay. Because you're eliminating a certain bracket of people who haven't had access to good education. And that could be for a myriad of reasons, right? So, for example, my father-in-law is a brilliant guy and he's completely illiterate. He could not take a poll test, but he watches they the news be, and he keeps up on things. So you're they eliminating could be, they, could, they could account for people who have disabilities or things like that who are like dyslexic, things like that. Like, I'm, I'm saying like not trying to discriminate for the discriminating sense, but to discriminate for people who aren't actually – intellectually able or capable to make comprehensive decisions for the entire nation. Well, well, so it's highly subjective. So like, you know, what metrics are you using would be the practical problem. But I would also say, I don't spoke like five minutes, except to make fun of Steph. So to finish my sentence, I agree with you on one hand that, you know, discrimination is not always bad. There are some things that should be discriminated against. For example, if you are so uneducated about an issue that is going to doom the planet, perhaps you should have to take a test. If you can't pass it, then you don't get to vote on those issues or that category or whatever. Because, you know, it's like, oh, you're discriminating against the ignorant. Yes, yes, we are discriminating against people that don't know what they're talking about for the betterment of all of us. Um, but then you also have the other part of the equation, which is evil. So many times it's, it's either ignorance or evilness that gets us into trouble. So if you deal with the ignorant people, you then have to deal with the evil people. People who are super academics and like have tons of IQ, um, but they are evil and they're like, yes, we're doing this intentionally to get a terrible result for lots of other people so we can have our way. <laughs> so there you go. Yeah. So well, yeah, I guess the thing is, oh, I, I was just gonna say if this this is the thing that kind of get that kind of gets me is if and this is the point I guess of every person uh, and I understand every person that does not have you know, the same level of education on, on a particular topic. But I guess if they all, and this is me, if they are all contributing to the same society, working, doing the same thing to the best of their ability, I guess as far as every man being, uh, every man's effort being treated the same, uh, being valued the same, uh, unless they are disabled or not legally competent, I think every man's vote is worth just as important as the other man and should be treated as, as such. I think when we get into that, we start to get into like a maybe type of hierarchy uh, type deal that may not be the best direction for the country to move, just my opinion. I yeah, disagree with that. Really, it leads on, into wait, recklessness. Wait, 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 wait. You guys are missing a really important element that already accounted for this, and that is that we live in a democratic republic. So even if really educated voters come along and vote for leaders who like those leaders still have terminal degrees and phds and those are the ones actually making the decisions like the layer of having True. the yeah so so we are protected from like a popular vote being like everyone should get free candy all day we have the layer of educated leaders in between well right but then that layer of education doesn't account for like evil so if you're ignorant and put someone smart who is evil <laughs> in office i mean Kind of like we have now. A bunch of yeah, dumb but... people, a bunch of dumb people uh, had the wool pulled over their eyes and voted for our current dear leader in chief and his cabinet 
who, you know, by all academic standards, you know, have accolades and they're highly educated, but they're using that education to destroy our country. So you have a exactly. great combination. Exactly, the, the number one. Yeah. 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 The last to finish my sentence, is it okay if I occasionally finish a sentence? So you have a perfect synthesis of evil and idiocy. Uh, sorry, Steph, go ahead. Okay, so you're correct, except that, <clears throat> that as the adage goes, democracy is the worst form of government except for all the others. So a democratic republic is the option that's going to give you the most possible layers and going to give the people the most rights and say with checks and balances that protect from destruction. So like, what's the alternative? What I was going to say. Except your nomination for dictator of the world. No, neither of those things. <laughs> Go ahead, Felix. Theocracy is the best, I'm telling you. It has never worked. All right. <laughs> so, um, Go ask my rack how that's going. So, uh, Steph, I would like a theocracy. Real God. Wait a minute, Felix has been. Felix is trying to get in. Just a second, CEO. What I was going to say is. I feel like there's a misunderstanding of what I was getting at in terms of, yes, they should be educated and there should be a standard. What I'm saying is this is something, and I already know that the, the education system is corrupt, but I feel like that needs to be an integrated class that's mandatory. Yes, history class, but people fumble on that. It needs to be, a, a, a it needs to hold more weight in terms of having the ability to vote. Like you have to have like a, a standard or a grade average, right? Like you can't fall below like a, like a, a C or something in your in your history class or like in, things like that is what I'm talking about. Like like you have to show proof of comp, uh, uh, um, proof of knowledge of the things in which you're going to be voting about for this country, and it doesn't have to be like a test that's right there at the at the place where you're taking where people can manipulate it and do as they please. But it'll be a standardized thing that everyone has to do anyway, because everyone takes history class anyway. You just make sure that there's integration of that thing and that to vote, you have to have at least a, a passing grade for that class. Cause there, I mean, people can still move to the next grade or to the next thing and still have like horrible grades, but it's because they have covered grades. Like say you could have A's in all your other classes and you're sucking in this one. They'll just keep moving you along if you have like a D at least. So that's what I was getting at. Like, Okay, but what if a child doesn't have food in the home and has parents who are heroin addicts and now has to work a job to support their siblings and isn't passing any class? Like okay, what you're talking about has been discussed over and over and over, and there's no way to do it so that it would work. So the, the republic is the answer to that problem. People can vote for candy all day, but at the end of the day, we have the layer of the voters, then we have the people with degrees who are being voted for, then we have the checks and balances of the three party or the three branches of our government that push and pull each other. Like we, the way that yeah, America we still have Biden designed, in office. Yeah, I know, I agree. Right. But the way and, that and Biden all of got that stuff has failed. All none of, of that, that has failed. failed because people. Well, because the, the the United States is a failing country at this point, and the reason for that is because of the nature of the Constitution. But that's a, that's a whole other kettle of fish. Um, and the, the idea of plurality and all this other stuff that we think is modern good stuff is all a bunch of nonsense. Um, the only way to run a nation is as a Christian nation or it will be a failed state. Oh that my is goodness. The, that you, you have to exclude 
every religion except Christianity if you are not going to have a failed state. Only Christians should be given the right to vote. Only, and I'm talking evangelical Christians. I'm not even talking Catholics or Orthodox or anybody. Or you will have a failed state. It's not ludicrous. You're just you just haven't thought through the issues. Okay, Chris, you're doing that thing that I always tell you to not do. I have thought I actually have a degree in history, like with a focus in American history. Okay, so I do know I have thought through the issues. I so promise. when did we start? When did we start voting so largesse gonna, from the public treasury? When? I'm not going to sit here and do pop quizzes with you, treasury? Chris. The point is, you don't get to be like you don't know enough about this thing, so I'm right. Just don't do that. See ya. Go ahead. Okay. Yeah. So two things. So uh, first, Steph, um, my my son's in the car, and surprisingly, he's against your proposal for everyone to have free candy every day. Um, <laughs> second. Um, Chris, I, I, I take some issue of you saying the United States is a failed nation, because if we go off of comparables, which is comparing us to every con- other country in the world that currently exists, we're doing extremely well. So, like, it, it gets a little sure. silly to make the comparison to, like, something that's abstract that we haven't tried. Well, the comparisons are typically based on what are the existing comparisons out there. Oh yeah, no. I'm comparing to I'm comparing to Jesus and the Millennial Kingdom. We're just at the top of the trash heap. The only good and right government is going to be one led by God, and in lieu of God actually being here, i.e., Jesus and the Millennial Kingdom. The best possible government we can have is a government led um, by force by Christians. Yo, can I, 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 I agree with you there? Did I say something? Really quick. What's up, guys? Yeah, I didn't really sleep that much. I just did a I did a review on the shift, um, that new Christian movie that's coming out. But uh, I just um, I find it a little bit ironic, and I'm just sharing this, and I'll go down. It's kind of random. But Chris, what you're saying? So I've been doing this. Uh, it's like a Marvel Dungeons and Dragons thing. It sounds super nerdy when I say it like that. It's the only way I can describe it. For like three. Girl. That is super nerdy, bro. <laughs> yeah, it's not what it is. It's like a Marvel role playing. I don't know, dude. My roommate, I'm, it's something that happened on Wednesday nights, and I've done it like three times. It's my first time ever doing something. It's actually kind of fun. Make your own character, but like the guy who's doing the campaign, because they're not they're not believers and stuff. But he made the story basically like you're back in 1984, and it's a Christian state, but it's like Robert Tilton is the governor and like the word of faith. It's like, uh, I forgot how he laid out like the whole thing, but it's, it's a caricature of some stuff, but it's more so kind of like, I guess, paralleling it with Catholicism and, you know, when the Catholics had political power and stuff, but I'm, I'm curious to kind of hear your idea fleshed out. Anyway, what you said reminded me of that. So I thought it was kind of funny. I know that's not what you're picturing, but it was just, yeah, I'm yeah. doing that tonight, and so I'm going to be like, yo, my, my friend said, <laughs> yeah. But, um, All right, I'll give, you some, I'll give you some good material if you want. So uh, then who... My idea... Oh, sorry. Oh, yeah, I was going to... Okay, yeah, go ahead, because, like, who would... Would there be a, a, a singular, like, pontiff, or would there be, a like, a... Yeah, like, how, how would the structure work? So the structure would work exactly like our Constitution works now, except that the Constitution would specifically say 
Jesus Christ. It would go uh, into the fact that we are a Christian nation. Um, it would be positive toward Christianity and to the exclusion of all other false religions. Um, and it would the the idea of what Christianity is would only be found in one of the three confessions, either the LBC, the Westminster, or the Belgic, and everyone else gets no right to vote. Everyone gets no right to vote. Let me finish. Yeah, gets no right to vote because they are they are not considered within the Christian worldview. So are the, yeah. so the non-denoms kind of like they're 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 screwed a little bit. Totally, yeah, and I would, I would, I would be one of those people who doesn't have the right to vote because I'm not in a confessional church right now, and so you know I'm including myself, um, and I'm not saying that those people aren't Christians, like my charismatic friends and you know yada yada yada. I'm not saying that they're not Christian, especially like Pastor Bark is a wonderful Christian man that I love dearly. Like I'm not saying they're not Christians. I'm just saying in terms of if you're going to create a Christian state and you need specifics written down in order to define what a Christian is, the easiest way to do that and the most accurate way to do that in terms of polity would be following one of the confessions. Do I'm going to get think... Chris a certain type of uniform to wear when he says things like this. Yeah, do you think yep. uh, do you think it would yep. play out where other Christians would feel discriminated against and then you could have protests for votes and all this other stuff and then it would play out like a lot of history when stuff like that happens? Could just burn up the stake if they protest. I mean, you know, you just I mean, who cares if they're protesting? They don't have any they don't have any right yeah, to vote. Just what are they going to do? Yeah, burn at the stake, you know. Nah, you just you just ignore them. I, I just have to ask Chris one yeah. question here. So Chris, you're normally the most strictly biblical following person I, that in terms of your interpretations of things. But you got to help me with this one because Jesus had plenty of time to teach to the disciples, hey, you need to get involved in government. Hey, civics, you know, we need to really get more involved here. But he seemed to go the opposite <laughs> way. So help point. me understand hey, and, a biblical view of what you're saying. So, so again, I'm, you guys are asking me for a hypothetical, and I'm just giving you a hypothetical Christian republic. Um, now, let's be real clear. I also believe that true Christians are maybe 3% of the American population. So this is not a possible future or a possible world. This is simply completely hypothetical. And what I would say is that... He's a Molinist now. Yeah, what I would say is uh, is that uh, to the answer to your question, yes, we are not to be involved in you know running politics. I also have a really fun view that I think the American Revolution was uh, anti-Christian, and we can talk about that too. No, that's actually not the Norman Geisler held that he thought that the revolution wasn't biblically justified. I can see that, but I, I guess the question I have is um, to which laws because maybe that's too concrete because i'm trying to think which laws would be um you know like capital offenses and you know what would there be blasphemy laws and what would that look like what happens if someone apostatizes you know what i mean like i'm just curious as how this stuff how does it play out you know Outside of all of that the problem that you have with your hypothetical because i agree Believe it or not, I actually agree even about your worldview of Christians in the whole. 
I, I think that there are a lot of people that identify themselves as Christians that have no idea what Christianity is about. But um, the problem with with your little hypothetical is that unfortunately, you have like the Prashants and the Silver Stars of the world that would even take your hypothetical situation and completely bastardize it. And, you know, this is, I don't know. I don't know. Which has happened in every theocracy every, ever. <laughs> every right, well, again, again, I'm just saying there are checks and balances in a, in a republic, you know, so like somebody like a silver star who's a bad actor would, good actors would suss that out and banish him. I mean, like, you know, I don't see a problem. But Chris, but we as Christians, we can't agree who the bad, bad actors and the good actors are. Hello? Would you have honor killings or honor stonings? Um, um, no, we? so what we would, what we would do, I mean, I would be the first. So, um, but, uh, what I would say is, uh, basing every mosaic law, uh, would be a good start. And, uh, I don't see a problem with that. So, so the, so the position I'm talking about, you guys, it's an actual position that you can read about. It's called theonomy. I was about and, to say. <laughs> yes. So. For the most part, I am not a theonomist, just to be real clear. Um, I don't think it's possible. So I'm taking the more practical standpoint of like, there's no possible way we could ever have a theonomy because there's just never going to be enough Christians. Because if Jesus was correct, and if you're a Christian, you know that Jesus was correct. The road is narrow and wide is the path to destruction. This is why I do not believe in this hypothetical like fairy world that I'm describing. Like a Christian uh, hypothetical Ayn Rand type idealism. Yeah. I'm just wanting to know because you said a, a Christian state by force. That's why I was like, yo. So should only who who gets yeah, to be? I mean, strapped? all states are by force. Who gets to be strapped? Um, everybody. Like literally, I would. I would I'm also. Here. If, again, if this were my hypothetical nation, I would make it so that everyone legally must own a gun. So well, not only a gun, if it's a nation. So, so wait, so the the, the other religions would get would get weapons too. Oh, uh, sorry, I meant to say Christians. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I was <laughs> but Carl, you just nailed it. It was good. It was good. You know, and then you could develop a nice caste system where That's only the Christians go to they're school. They're going to face some Yeah, you know, only the Christians can own guns and only the Christians can read. And we can have like varying degrees of Christians. And then it can become genetic. So you're born into this caste system because history tells us. That that works really well. This is, oh, this, is like, this is like Christian, Christian this, this is like Christian Hebrew Israelism. This is how, many, how many servants can I own, Chris? This is my marble. <laughs> no, so this is this is also why women should not be able to vote because uh, they go emotionally with these things. Like Steph just did. <laughs> Are you saying that jokingly? <laughs> oh, no, so he does not believe women should vote. This is not <laughs> a joke. Uh, that is not a joke. I don't think women should vote. But Jesus' mom was a woman. And she couldn't vote. Right. She ain't got the right to vote. Mm, Sorry, mm, mother mm. of the universe. Not today. Mm. Now, everybody just realized that Nate's a pantheist because she's the mother of God. And he said mother of the universe. So 
You think so? I, I saw that. I heard that upgrade. I heard yeah. the upgrade. The, that's the thing. So right there, he would have been burned at the stake because he would have had audio evidence. That's Wait, correct. Wait, do, do, do people understand sarcasm in your universe, Chris, in your world? Do people understand? That? Oh, no, no one has a sense of humor. Oh, it's like the then, Puritan uh, colonies. Sorry. <laughs> Well, well, that's the that's thing. Sucks. I'm wondering, oh are you God. trying Wait, to what like kind of... rebuild Calvin's Geneva? Ooh. Like, is <laughs> that your idea? Because Wait a second. I've got a question. Calvin's I've Geneva got a real would question. be a I've actually got a real question. burned at the stake for being lower tiers of Christians, and everyone was like, yes, that is the way it works best. Like, okay, that's so literally what you're describing. Your... Wait a minute. Okay, I was about to say. So do they had a real question. I did have one. Like, in his, would they only have pure flicks? <laughs> oh man, that's a good question, man. Like, I mean, do, Angel Studios yeah. would be right out because they're Mormons, right? So Angel Studios do that. I, I, no dude, I, the only reason I'm okay with this is because Chris has pronounced me okay in his world as a, as a true Christian enough times that I, I think I'd be cool in his in his scenario. Unless yeah, he, I'd be unless, he, unless unless he's practicing like Christian takia where he can deceive. But you wouldn't be able to vote. I would. I mean, Wait, yeah, you're, but step you're stay home with your kids full time. It would be amazing. Oh, yeah, the confession. What confession church. do you hold to? Yeah, well, that'd be a problem. Yeah, so you, you couldn't Yeah, vote. Nate, neither you nor I would be voting, and then I would be burned at the stake for having a job and being a Wesley. Well, no, you, you, well, no, you wouldn't, no, that, that, like, so, oh, so let me, first of all, um, John Knox God, called Calvin's, um, <laughs> John Knox, who was a one of the first Presbyterians, he called Calvin's Geneva one of the greatest civil governments that had ever yes, existed on the planet. Yes, I can and, see and that's where you're your, going. Right, and your idea that somehow they're willy-nilly running around burning people at the stake for being lower-order Christians is simply untrue. Servetus was such a wicked, non-Christian man. He was writing to the caliphate to come and cleanse Europe of all Christians. He was promoting um, the rape of Munster and he was just oneness. He didn't do any of those things. He was just a doctor. Dude, listen, he was not in a doctor. Calvin's Geneva, oh I would be burned. Okay, you would not that's be it. Burned. You would just yes, be I would. just be at home. No one would even know what you're talking about because you'd be at home. Um so right. so the so the whole thing is is that and you would be really excited about that. Um but the the whole thing is is that so sad. What happened to Chris? Where'd he go? For the record, oh. I tried to. Did you kick him? No, I did not kick him. I just <laughs> moved him. I just needed for, a moment of silence. For the record, I, I tried to invite you, Fury. It's not working. I, I don't out. know if he's I don't here. know if you we're going to be able to. He's he here. Is? He's here. Yeah. Oh, I, I made it back. Wait, Fury. What do you think? I keep refreshing. I don't see Fury. He's right here. Fury, give us the same. Oh, there he is. I'm here. You wanted to not like him this morning, Steph? Uh, what? No, I said, thank God Fury is here to give us a dose of sanity. No, don't ask. <laughs> What's up, Fury? Christian theonomy? Kill all non-believers? What's up? What's good? Peace be upon you. Peace be upon you as well. It's kind of like, you know, like when uh, Constantine, like, you know, tried to like, you know what, I'm just making the whole empire Christian. That affects all the paganism. And so it's like, Pretty much everybody just started joining the quote unquote state church. And like, you know, people just like just kind of kept on without true conversion. And I think that'd be the kind of the same thing that it kind of happened almost. I think, I don't really think kind of state churches really work.
the attempt to make a whole nation a Christian nation is getting off track of why we were even called by Jesus to preach the gospel. Like, who are we going to preach to? And how are we going to actually effectively preach the gospel? Are we going to be focused more on ourselves? Are we going to actually be in the world but not of it? Well, the historic view on, on this issue that you're proposing isn't that we convert people by the sword. Right? So a lot of people think that what Christian nationalists and people who support this view of jurisprudence are saying, let's make the state church and convert people by the sword. Um, we're not supporting that view. We're just giving you the view that people in the medieval period and the early modern period held, which is that there should be a connection, a connection of some sort between the church and the state. Church informs the state of what what should be the laws of the land. Right? Jurisprudence and legality and morality are all very closely intertwined. Right. Now, whether it would ever be prudential and possible and reverent in the United States is an entirely different question. We're asking, in principle, could it ever be justified to have a nation that's informed by the Christian faith? And I think in principle, that's clearly true because we see it with the land of Israel, right? If God can establish a nation that is founded upon a particular faith, right, that has blasphemy laws and executes infidels, then in principle, it's at least morally justifiable. And so, but it's different because they weren't just religiously Jewish; they were like, by their identity Jewish. When you have a child, you're not just going to automatically get a Christian child. Why do they have nation? blasphemy laws? You talking about the one that got the gays over there, Israel, like the big gay uh, hotbed over there, he's Israel? Talking, he's he's talking about talking, biblical Israel. Talking. Yeah, oh, biblical talking. in the ancient Near East Israel. Oh, okay. Yeah, I don't know why you thought I was talking about the gay capital. Oh, I was, I was just trying to, we were talking about apples for apples. But a Christian nation is not going to last. Yeah, you can you can have the whole blasphemy yeah, removal the thing, con- but then... That's just a consequential view. I'm asking, in principle, could it be justified to do so? And, it, and clearly, in principle, is justified to do so if God can establish the Old Testament nation of Israel and have blasphemy laws and have laws for infidel. Like, if that's justified, if that's not immoral, then yeah. In so if God can do it, we can but, do it. But can you're trying. Do you think you're that. trying to replace heaven? What do you mean you're trying to replace heaven? I don't think that's the we. That's what that fundamentally that's kind of where it's coming from. You want to have a, a nation where things are functioning right because there's a lot of burdens with having a lot of different demographics and opinions and things like that. And you want to just have things functioning. Like, are thing, you just like a pure are you a pure pacifist on politics? God also had a priesthood that he did he not and with the, wait, the wait Hebrews back wait, in the day who were given direct wait, one direct wait, one direction from wait, God. Wait, wait, say again, two people are talking. Yeah, because Okay, so y'all are like lining up to say what you have to say, and it's fine that you have an opinion. But if y'all are both trying to line up and talk to me, it's kind of weird for me to talk to both of you at the same time when you have different concerns. So, but my question to you, Birdie, because you're giving me questions that I think are worth responding to, but the first question I think you need to answer is. Should Christians be pure pacifists 
with respect to politics because no, every Christian in here, every Christian in here has some political persuasion and hopefully it's informed by the Bible. But if that, then should our, should we be proactive in the political scene? We should take our part in terms of adding to what we think ought to be taken care of and done, but not in the, in the expense of forcing people to conform to the certain things in which we know to be true, because that's net. I guess this comes down to a Calvinist or non-Calvinist view, but it's just like, or, 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 or let's say, let's say I have a wrong understanding of Calvinist. Let me, I'm just going to keep going. Um, but if you have kids like the next generation, they're not the same uh, degree of passion Christians as the people who established the nation. And then, yeah, you weed some out. What do you do with them? You cast them out into the, into the other nations. And then you keep doing that. At what, at what point are you not going to have a whole separate nation in opposition to this nation? You're asking, and then asking like, you're asking questions that for one, this wasn't an issue in like the early modern period. You don't have, you don't have like these real, like, okay. I don't know how you think atheism became such a big deal or people who rejected the faith became a big deal, but historically speaking, you don't have these people who are born and rise above the crowd and all of a sudden they have these new and distinct views. It's a matter of, do you have a culture that's going to tolerate people defecting from what's the truth? And generally speaking, the only reason that we see that in the United States is because we have a very tolerant culture that's fine with people defecting from the truth, right? That's not going to be- not a given to have a nation of Christians producing a child who is going to be Christian. Yeah, that just has to do with what you think about how the covenant works. And obviously, I, I vehemently disagree with you. Each individual person is accountable for themselves. It's not the, it's almost, it's, not, it's almost equated it's to not, saying that the, against, the predecessors are the ones that set up the view. groundwork to make sure that the child has faith. Okay, I'm not, it's not against my view to say that each individual person is accountable or liable for their own sins and their responsibilities and duties to obedience to Jesus Christ. That's not contrary to my position. You just have this very, very, very individualistic perspective, right? And that's just not that's just not how that's just not how reality works, and that's not how the Bible teaches any how reality works either, right? Okay, so, okay. You're, make, you're making the you're making the you're making the big statement that that's not how reality. Elaborate. How is that not how reality works? People, I, I went into explanation of how it would transpire. Well, you gave a you gave a hypothetical scenario about what could possibly happen if like right but i'm saying just saying that's not how reality works does no good for the conversation it doesn't well, do, it doesn't, you good, it doesn't do good for the conversation for you to not answer my question about things that happen in principle you're going to, you're going to like these absurd links to talk about scenarios that probably would never happen or if they do happen would not lead to the outcomes that you're referring to such as a mass or a wide, uh, a nationwide like uh, distress over the fact that we live in a Christian nation. Like you're seeing a nationwide distress over the fact that we live in a nation that's imploding on itself, but you don't see. I'm saying, that. no, I, I gave the trail of thought. I said, you have the first wave Christians who established the nation. The second wave, yes, the majority will probably come to the faith, but the outliers, what do you do with the outliers? You said 
or someone had mentioned that you just kind of kick them out, right? You kick them out of the society. Where do they go? Yeah, I don't. Can, I don't believe. I don't believe like you have to legislate uh, people. If you're asking like, what do we do about people who have individual thoughts that are distinct from what is like legally required that you affirm, like on some level? For example, if you have an atheist, there's no obligation that they believe in the Christian faith. However, there is an obligation in the public sphere that they not that they not denounce the Christian faith because it's going to be sure. a form of social unrest. And it'll go like just that like for a while. Naked. Just like getting naked in public is a form of social unrest. Yeah, this, this is already, I don't understand why this, no, no, no part, I'm not trying to be offensive here, but this has already been played out multiple times throughout history. I mean, yeah, I mean, the, the, the Israel, it, was bad. Israel itself was directly visited and had to like witness God coming into the temple practically. Exactly. And still built a golden calf. Still, right, right? do you think I'm? Do you think um, I'm trying? America to was primarily Christian already. It, like human beings will eventually, eventually become corrupted in any nation, right? Um, and so I think Birdie's trying to just express, like, look, the best we can do is take this individual standpoint because we know that as a whole, you know, uh, human beings will eventually become corrupt. Things will eventually fall apart. So. It's almost like a waste of time, so to speak, right? And the it, best that we really can do is just preach the gospel. You're talking and, about you know. consequences, though. You're just. I'm not talking about. I'm talking about history, bro. That is, That's all. That, is, that is. That is consequences because you're saying, well, well at some whatever, point, however you'd like to to to, you know, point it out as. I'm just saying right, that's the reality of human beings, and to deny deny so would be is kind of silly. That's all. The point is, you're not dealing with the issue in principle. You're just dealing with. No, this well, is directly the issue. It's it's already been expressed throughout history yeah. multiple times. So let's no, deal with okay. the issue yeah. of principle. What do you believe? What do you believe you're presenting that hasn't happened before? Is what I'd like. Right, to know. and it's just like, and it's okay. just like so, we're providing actual cases of what would likely happen. Like, like what else would happen? So, y'all are, like, are like queuing in multiple responses, speak to, and that's like impossible for me to do, right? Go ahead. Okay, so. I'm not trying to give you something new. I don't think that we need anything new. I think we have perfect examples of Christian jurisprudence in the early modern period and the medieval period. In the Dutch Reform Republic, you have a good example of jurisprudence. There it is. Anyway, you have a good example of what jurisprudence looks like amongst a group of Christians and how the law informs the social and cultural practices in a given region. The way that's going to be manifested in different regions might be different. So if you're Swedish or Italian or you're Spanish, then you're going to have different social, political, and legal norms that are going to inform the culture. Nevertheless, you're going to have a Christian-informed system of law, and you're going to have a Christian-informed culture, which is just going to allow for better well-being. I don't We're not talking I'm about a subgroup within a, an already existing nation. We're talking about an entire nation. So, so Birdie, I didn't give you a, Tyler, I didn't give you a subgroup. I gave you Tyler, that actually exist and have practiced what I'm proposing. <laughs> and where are they now? So Tyler, I think that what you need to do is explain the categories of uh, what you're
you're talking about in terms of principle versus consequence. I don't think that there, I, I don't think there's an understanding. We need to bridge the gap of understanding between principle and consequence. Maybe you can take okay. a moment. Right. <laughs> so, so in the consequences are just, we're going to be looking at different circumstances and being like, okay, what do we do in this specific circumstance? And then what would that look like? The principle is what we're interested in. And by principle, I mean, is it just before we consider individual circumstances, is there any way this this could be a precedent? Could this be moral? Could this be right or wrong? Could this be a way that you live by? And one example that I'm going to give of principle versus consequence is, can you have blasphemy laws? Is it biblical and is it in step with Christian obedience to have blasphemy laws. So in principle, it seems that you can. Now the consequences of that is, do you always give someone the death penalty for a blasphemy law? That's which, that's more of a question that y'all are focused on. Well, what are the consequences? What do we do about all these non-Christians? That's an entirely, that's not my concern, right? I'm not a, for one, none of us in here practice. Law, for it to not be your concern means you're not thinking clearly then. You're no, not no, thinking no, no, thoroughly. No, 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 no. It doesn't follow that I'm not thinking clearly or intelligibly about a subject. That's just not where none of us in here do jurisprudence. None of us in here have had, well, presumably, right? I might be speaking uh, ahead of myself, but presumably most of us in here don't have any formal training law. Most of us in here have not okay, been lost. That's a cop out. You, you gave a that's not a cop. That's not a cop. That's yeah, not a cop out. You gave a hypothetical, and then when someone asks you for details, you say, "Well, you're not trained enough to do the details." No, 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 so no, no, we're no, going to no. go down a hypothetical, and let's not call, call to authority. That's not a that's not a cop out. If you don't if you don't have the expertise or the requisite. Well, knowledge. have you ever built a society? How many? I mean, if we're going to have the conversation, let's have the conversation. So, if you want to talk about how many principles. Times are you well, yeah, because you're just saying, like, you're not good enough. Wait, did everyone just call up? I don't know. Whatever Samuel Warren. Uh, Wait, Mayor, could out, you start yeah. over? You so, cut so, out. So, yeah, you cut out. But what's really going to happen is everyone talking on stage right now is <laughs> going to be round up. But it camps. didn't work out. That's what's well. actually going to happen. Yeah, and, it, and, and Samuel prophesied yeah. it, and it happened. And that's your example, and it will happen again, and it has happened again, which everyone else is yep. giving you more modern historic records of the exact same thing happening. So what you're pro- what you're okay, suggesting, I think, uh, Sam- I think it's a, I think it's, I think God is telling us that He doesn't want to hear Mary's talk. Okay, so, um, yeah, Mary, Mary, what were you saying? Out. Yeah, but can you validate that by scripture that that's God? You know, like you're just throwing convenience in this in situation. How about you ask him to finish that was the thing example and then of how the theocracy will work. Whoever he doesn't like will be someone like God. I'm clearly wait, Mir, could you please start over because you cut out for a long time? Yeah, and if you want to stuff. talk about the principle, then then let's let's talk about the principle. In in First Samuel's eight, chapter eight, Samuel warns if you create this theocracy with a with a um, monarchy, it won't end well. And Second Kings goes through the unraveling of how it doesn't end well. And every other historical time this has been done, as other people on stage have been telling you, Samuel's prophecy has come to fruition. When did so I what ask, you're suggesting X to form a uh, let him finish. But you're suggesting finish. this idea of this theocracy will end the exact way Samuel prophesies that it will end. When did with I, the kings becoming I, I, corrupt, 
with you can uh, do this let him finish with the kings becoming corrupt and that's the problem so that we're going to go back to um winston churchill democracy is the worst form of government besides for all the rest and what you're suggesting i understand and ideally if you have righteous kings and 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 righteous leaders it'll it'll work out but it will end with unrighteous people and it will end in disaster and destruction of the state that samuel's prophecy i don't i don't i don't i think for one no one in here is asking for well let me not say no one my position is not let's establish a theocracy right here right now i'm not even asking that we establish a theocracy in a in a christian jurisprudence is not like theocracy theonomy okay you're good to go like that's not that's not a early modern approach to how jurisprudence works at all so i don't know what you're i'm not asking you to asking there to be a monarch or something like that i'm not right so tyler let me let me see if i can bridge the gap because i think that uh, here's here's what's happening so what tyler is talking about you on these things though chris i mean we don't have to because I'm nobody, just talking nobody. about general philosophical categories here. So what I'm what I'm trying to get at is that what Tyler is talking about is ask, do you think do you think that blasphemy laws in principle can be justified because the Bible gives blasphemy laws to the land of Israel and the the justification is that it's a there's a moral principle not there in 2023 in America? No, why? Period. Why? why? Again, because why? what so, did Paul say about people who weren't under the law? Like, what what are we what? supposed to do? Like, do we do no? This is it's just no, no, no this is no. not okay. So, so that's okay, just an so, emotional response. That's not a re, that's not right, it's, it's, it's not it's, a it's emotional fair, response, bro. You're not thinking. Let me jump in. Can I just say one thing? One thing, one thing. Well, since you're the only one who spoke less than me. Yeah, I do want to say this is a great example of what it will look like right here. This is it. Yeah, I would just say no, no, there there cannot be any Christian or blasphemy laws, meaning like people who are blaspheming die because that's for the land of Israel. That's for the Israelites, specifically them, not Christians. Jesus says, you know, why do you think do you think God arbitrarily gave them those laws or was there a reason for him giving those laws? Yeah, there was a reason to set the people apart and make them a peculiar people. If everyone started doing all the 613 laws, they wouldn't be holy. They wouldn't be set apart. So they would not be a peculiar. They would not be. And you'll have a fundamental. Keep the law, statutes, and commands. The function. Hang on. Wait, wait, wait. Hang on. Dude, oh my goodness. The function of civil law is not just to set a nation apart. Oh my God! Oh, let someone speak. Nice. Good Lord in heaven! If if everyone wants to say, "Hey Jews, we're going to take all of your laws and follow them just like you," they can't be a peculiar people. They can't fulfill their part of being set apart if everyone copies them. So no, without being an emotional response, the only emotion I'm going to give is maybe anger. Got to work on that. But that's the answer. Like Jesus tells you know the disciples when they go out two by two to make disciples of the whole nation. If people want to hear what you have to say, stay and blessings will be upon them. If they don't, shake the dust from your feet and leave them to their fate. God will judge them. So if you're wanting to do a Christian theonomy, you cannot have blasphemy laws that end in people being murdered. Um, exactly. That's the answer. Okay, I'm done. Well, it would, it wouldn't be, so it wouldn't be murder. You guys, you guys, hold on. Because, hold on, wait. It wouldn't be I'm murder really because it's justly killed. Wait, Quote, just I'm really kill. glad that you were able to hear that from a man and not call him emotional, even though it was exactly what I was citing as well. 
No, you didn't exactly. give a, think of a reason at all. Well, anger is not an emotion. No, it, it's just, it's just that it came from a man. So I, I just hope you recognize yeah, that. Yeah, I don't think, uh, I don't think, I don't, I think if you're honest with yourself, you'll know that that's not the reason why. But I don't really, I don't really care about defending myself from a sexism charge. I'm probably a sexist by most of you guys. Maybe, I know, so you're I don't perfectly really... comfortable with that, yeah. Yeah, I'm perfectly so, comfortable with sexism. So, so, Nate, you normally have a fuse that goes off for people who have ridiculous conversations for so long. Where, where is your fuse right now? Dude, I'm, I'm cringing. Like, my, my fuse is more on crappy audio. Like, why? Everyone has internet. Everyone, I think, is in America. Why is everyone's audio so atrocious? It, it, it is kills me. Ah! I, I would put people to death justifiably for that before blasphemy laws. Um, probably. I'd have to think that through. But no, this is. You should go after I mean, the I don't mind the. I mean, I don't. <laughs> I don't mind fault. the. I don't mind the ridiculous conversation because it's. It's kind of. I don't know. It's fanciful. I mean, you know, what's really going to happen is we're all going to be rounded up and put in camps for being any kind of Christian. That's more likely going to happen. Um, but but if that, that's where I stand on this. But no, the the audio issues, like why everyone is having awful audio today, I I don't know. But that's my biggest problem. Yeah, I want to pick a new topic. I mean, I'm fine to keep going, but I'm also fine you. to stop if you guys want. I'm not, I'm not exhausted. No, I'm not exhausted. So, either. so at the point, the point, the point about the point that we're making with the example of a blasphemy law in the Old Testament is that in principle it can be justified, and if it can be justified in principle, we just need to ask the question: Well, what is the reasoning behind there being a blasphemy law? And it's not because because the, the function of civil laws is not to set a nation apart as distinct, right? Because you have civil laws, for example, that exist in the Old Testament. Okay, that... so Tyler, the reason that you okay. gave for one, right. for thinking that a blasphemy law is justified is that God did it so humans can do it too. And I don't even know where to begin with the theological problems with that. When did I... Do you want to address when was that the... argument? Well, give give that, concrete give concrete examples instead of just how many uh, times over, are y'all gonna like queue up the instead of umbrelling the idea of it and being a blasphemy law. Give concrete concrete examples with specific scenarios. Do that. Okay. So we have two queued responses. Does anyone else want to add a third response? Tyler, just like dude, I'm like I can't. Hit, okay, you are not the king of this room, and you're not so. Your opinion is not so important that everybody here needs to line up to get your almighty response. Respond to what. But you he's the only to, one who's responding besides myself. So like, okay, I'm Chris, deferring you, to Tyler me, because he knows more about theonomy than Chris. I but he hasn't provided any insight to anything. Hold on. Chris, do you agree that whatever God does, humans can do too? Um, the that's a that's begging the question. So what it's I would not say begging is any that questions. Like it the, is what? because you're putting the you're putting the you're putting What's the, the loaded into the, the loaded. Tyler, be so like Shush, Tyler, shush. You made Hold me on. mad. So, now so, I'm done with you. So okay, so Steph, here's the thing: is that what he is saying is that in principle. Okay, again, we haven't gotten a good definition between the difference between principle and consequence. In principle, blasphemy laws are perfectly fine because God gave them in the Old Testament to humans to carry out. Okay, mm -hmm. this wasn't something that God is just doing unilaterally and he's just striking people with lightning. He's He instituted a civil government with blasphemy laws for specific reasons because he is not just setting the nation of Israel apart, but he has a moral law 
that is invaluable and immutable. Okay. Now, in consequence, and this is what we've been trying to get at for 20 minutes, in consequence, would blasphemy laws be very difficult to carry out in 21st century America? Of course. Well, wait, and no one is saying otherwise. The defense but, but that, is, that is what we're talking about, and that's what I'm trying to help you understand. The defense that, yeah, I don't need your help understanding anything. The defense that because God did something, humans can do it too throughout all of time, that that's going to fall. That's enormously problematic. Whose point? Okay. Who made that point, though? Something. No that's, not a good, that's not a good enough stance, man. Like, who, made, okay. who made that point? Chris, who just said that point? Well, Chris mentioned that God, you know, God does, wasn't just like striking people with lightning. I mean, remember that time they disobeyed and he opened the ground and swallowed up like a hundred and something thousand. I mean, you know, he could do that. So let God be but the who judge. Made the, who made the point that God did it? We can do like who made that point? That's that, like, that, that, that point doesn't even that point doesn't even matter, right? That point doesn't even matter because what the actual well, issue like is. Like hold on, let's let's, de let's default to saying that doesn't actually matter because the, uh, there's another issue. The other issue is the fact that they didn't have the calling to go out and preach into the world to people who are unbelievers. If you, if you imply, if you implement that blasphemy law, you're no longer, you're, you're, you're having a conflict of those two things and how you have to execute it. That's why I was saying there's an attempt to try to... And that was the case. How did they put this to the surface? If that's the case... Because I don't see... Well, God, CEO, can I, I, I have a step, can I just get in for one second, please? Wait, I don't talk wait, for more than 30 seconds. Oh my God. Okay, go ahead. Continue dominating. Yeah, we had, I mean, we had three of you back to back to back responding. So, I mean, I, that's just only justified, right? So, mm. I don't know exactly what you think we're trying to accomplish. And I don't know that you understand what my position is. But, Bro, you don't understand what anyone is saying. And I'm, I'm, I'm yeah. I, how do you like, think at this point, it's just like anyway, you keep going on and on. This is where someone needs to say jurisprudence again. Dude, yeah. Like, no. I want to hear nothing being said. All right. It's very simple. The blasphemy does not line up with what Jesus taught in the New Testament. That law that you're talking about applying in the U.S. today. There are many things in the Old Testament that we do not still live by today, right? We don't, we don't focus on mixed garments and a bunch of stuff, right? So please articulate for me how this blasphemy law you're, uh, you're proposing aligns with what Jesus taught, and I will shut up. Okay, so the point with the blasphemy law is not... Like, okay, when you talk about how a nation is to be governed, because Jesus didn't co come and tell us how a nation should be governed. Uh, like, I could ask you the same question, like, where does Jesus defend the right to freedom of speech? I don't see that at all in the New Testament. And you, yet you hold to that as some sort of a dogma, right? So the point that I'm making is that Jesus, well, for one, Jesus didn't come to teach us how to govern a nation. That was not his prerogative in his earthly ministry. But Nor he also did correct one of the disciples for trying right. that. I, you know, you know, I was going to get to your response. I'm going to get there. I promise. Oh, thank you, benevolent leader. I'm not the one with a green bean. I, like, I'm not masquerading <laughs> as a leader. But anyway, so to, to CEO's point, Jesus does not teach us what the law of a nation should be. 
but he also doesn't teach us that freedom of speech should be a universal right or anything like that. And he also doesn't tell us how we should legislate murder or something like that. Okay, you shouldn't have given me the mod. I, I didn't right, but he also that. doesn't tell us how to uh, legislate murder. Say that one more time, uh, Bertie. Nate, was that you? So if it's absent from the scripture, then oh, heck no, data, it was not. like freedom <laughs> of speech. There's so many fallacies in your thinking. If it's absent from the teachings, then we should debate it like freedom of speech. So we do debate freedom of speech, and we can have a lively debate on why, and we can have uh, – then, then, then you're saying you don't have a proof from the Old Testament. You just like blasphemy laws, and everyone has to tell no. you for the last half hour why they're terrible. No, that's not the point that I – Well, you just said that, that, that you just said – the challenge to you was where are these blasphemy laws continued on in the New Testament? And your answer was Jesus didn't teach us about free speech either. So if you're equating it to free speech, then let's debate it like free speech. My you point don't is have that, any more proof from the Old Testament, correct? My point, my point was the reductio. The reductio is if we need Jesus to speak on it for it to be a case that we have in our civil magistrate, then you don't have the right to freedom of speech. That's the reductio. My the point reductio. was if it's absent, then it's up for debate because your, your entirety of your argument was it's in the Old Testament, which, by the way, it's not. We can go through no. what the Old Testament says. But yeah, that was. We were all here. You said it's in the Old Testament, therefore in principle, although in, in, in practice it can never be implemented, but in principle it's okay because my proof is the Old Testament. When challenged on that, you said, well, we don't have free speech either, meaning it's absent from the, from the new covenant. Well, that's not his that, – that wasn't – his challenge was where does Jesus say that? Say that right. That's not what I said. Meaning, that's not what you said, Bertie. There that's are what so many logical said. fallacies of what you're doing right now. It's amazing. Okay, what's the logical fallacy? Give me one. I, I'll, re, I'll repeat it again. For, for, first of all, your entire basis is wrong, but we can get to that next. But your, your, your next step was either you're going to say you have a proof from gospel or it's absent and it's up for debate. Those are your two choices. Or, or you could say that's forbidden, but that wasn't no, on the, the table right now. Now, what you, the challenge to you was where is this brought forward in the post-Jesus world? And your response was it's absent just like free speech, but you guys like free speech. Yeah, but I like free speech from, from, from ideology, not from scripture. So if you want to discuss um, blasphemy laws Thank based you. on our modern idea, then let's just talk about it like free speech, which is also up to debate, by the way. Europe doesn't have free speech laws. Yeah, I don't. I don't, so, I don't so do, you have, do you have a scriptural basis or is it absent? And we should discuss it like we discuss all of our other things in the, in, in, in the Senate. Not in the church. Which one? If you're, if, you're asking, if you're asking me, do I have a scriptural basis as to why we should support one particular group of civic laws over another? No, because the Bible... Wait, wait, wait one second. No, because the Bible doesn't tell us that there's one group of civic laws in particular that should be followed over another that is universally binding for all nations. The Bible does tell us, like, for example, in Romans 13, that the purpose of the civil magistrate is to carry out God's justice. And that's going to be best served if the civil magistrate is informed by what of what the law of God is, which is going to necessitate that they have the the morality prescribed by the New Testament and the Old Testament. And yes, so you can't if the legislators wait, and the voters all right, are informed all right, all right, by the testament, then that will be a much better I gave state. you Correct. your time to speak uninterrupted. Not really. I did. Everybody in here can attest to that. So but the New Testament just the New Testament says, for example, in the Apostle Paul in Romans 13, that the civil magistrate is basically the hand of God in distributing justice. A civil magistrate 
is going to better distribute justice when it has information on what the law of God is. And so the law of God is going to be informed by the Ten Commandments. And since the Ten Commandments prescribe things or, or prescribe that, for example, that you ought not blaspheme, the civil magistrate is going to be informed by that in order to carry out God's justice. That's the point. Well, that's not 